are listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Abby. Today we're going to talk about money and finances, but before we do that, we wanted to announce the winner of our Instant Pot giveaway. Congratulations, KT. We loved all of your awesome suggestions for topics, books, recipes. Thank you to everyone for your entries. Remember that you can make those kinds of suggestions anytime on our website or by emailing us, and we always love to hear from you. Now let's catch up on life lately. Sarah, what is new with you? So this past weekend, we organized a neighborhood potluck with some of the families that also have young children. So fun. This is something I've been chatting about with one of our neighbors for a while, but has just never actually happened. And we finally got the ball rolling and it was really fun. And I think it's going to become a monthly thing. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. And that was one of your dreams about where you live. Yes. It's felt great to just get to know people that even a block away, we don't necessarily see them during the day all the time. Right. And so it's just been great to get to know more neighbors and makes me feel more connected. And it's just fun. Love it. What's been happening with you? Well, I wanted to crowdsource something from our listeners, which is that we have an elderly dog, Tonks, and I've talked about her on the pod before, but... She is not excited about eating these days, and we've been to the vet multiple times to check in about whether everything is okay with her health-wise, and it looks like it is. It looks like her blood work is normal, but she's just not excited about any food, and we've tried lots of foods, dry and wet foods. What I'm doing most recently is cooking chicken and rice for her in the Instant Pot. She's not even always excited about eating that, Mm. and so... I wanted to ask listeners, if you have had old doggies or have old doggies now, what you did to get them excited about eating. That's really hard. I hope that some listeners have some good suggestions for you. Yeah, me too. Now let's talk about what we've been reading. Sarah, what's your latest read? So I recently finished the book Dream Hoarders. Get ready for the subtitle. It's quite long. (laughs) How the American upper middle class is leaving everyone else in the dust, why that is a problem, and what to do about it. (laughs) And this is a book by Richard V. Reeves. I heard about it from a New York Times article that I read this summer, and that article is called Stop Pretending You're Not Rich. Mm -hmm. So all of this is very on topic for our episode today. Totally. (laughs) The author is British, and he currently works at the Brookings Institute and has been in the U.S. for several years. And in the New York Times article, and some in the book too, he talks about how one thing he loves about the United States is how it's presented as this classless society, and that Mm -hmm. he was looking forward to getting away from these really rigid class distinctions that he experienced in the U.K., Mm -hmm. but that he found that here those class distinctions were even more entrenched. They Mm -hmm. just weren't talking about. Interesting. And the book really talks about the upper middle class, which he defines as the top 20% income wise in the US. Okay. Which right now, I can't remember whether it was 112 or $116,000 per year for a household mm-hmm. would put you in that bracket. Okay. And he argues that we so often get into this 1% versus the 99% Mm -hmm. and that that isn't really addressing the problem because really the problem is that the big rift is between that group really moving ahead while everyone else is staying stagnant Hmm. because his job is in policy and he Mm -hmm. works for a policy institute. It's a lot of what are the policies that have made that happen and what are potential solutions to that to make things more equitable. Hmm. 
He talks about the mortgage interest tax deduction, Mm -hmm. which is something I've really only thought about in the last year. And it's so interesting. It's a huge subsidy for wealthy people that the government is giving them. Yeah. And of course, there's exceptions in extremely high cost areas like in New York or in California. But Mm -hmm. for the most part, the government is giving you a tax break for buying a really expensive house. Right. And he also goes into details about zoning and legacies at college admissions Mm. and talks a lot about the glass floor as opposed to a glass ceiling and how that can perpetuate inequity. Interesting. Very fascinating. All the topics were really interesting. I will say it's a little bit of a dry read. Mm. It felt like I was reading something from grad school in a lot of ways. (laughs) Yeah. But it was short and the topics felt so timely too especially with the talk of reforming the tax code. Mm -hmm. After having read this book, I feel like I'm looking at that really differently than I would have otherwise. So I would recommend it to anyone who thinks these topics are as interesting as I do. (laughs) Or if you don't want to read the whole book, we'll also link to the New York Times article, which is pretty short and really lays out a lot of these ideas. Cool. And one final thing I really loved about it is that throughout the book, he referred to we and us because he identifies in the upper middle class mm-hmm. and it made it feel much less judgmental nice. and made it feel like these are problems and we need to be part of the solution and here's how we can do that as opposed to pointing fingers and standing on higher moral ground. It felt very much like he was problem solving in this positive way. That sounds way more productive than it could have been. <laughs> yes. What have you been reading? So I just finished listening to Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Mm. I didn't read this one in high school. I think a lot of people did. I did. I read other dystopian things, but not this. And so because I've been reading a good amount of dystopian fiction this year, Mm -hmm. and I saw it come up on the library app for things that were available right now, I was like, huh, Mm. I've never read that one. I'll give it a try. And I'm glad I did. So it's a dystopian novel set in the far future. And the basic premise is that people are produced assembly line style, Mm -hmm. and there are lots of twins slash clones all from the same fertilization event. And then based on how they're developed, they're divided into different classes or casts. I think that it was good for me to read, but I didn't love it. Mm -hmm. It's pretty depressing, like (laughs) most dystopian fiction All of the characters are caricatures, which I'm sure was the intention. I think that it was written as satire, and so that makes sense, but it's hard for me to read a book without characters that I can identify with or at least like. Mm -hmm. I do wish that I'd read it in high school because I think I would benefit from discussing it and understanding the historical context in which it was written, and probably there was social commentary stuff that I just missed Mm -hmm. that I would have gotten you know, in a classroom setting or even in a book club. I remember very little about it from when I read it. Mm -hmm. I forget books very quickly. I have an image of a wall of babies. Is that a thing in there? Yeah. That's something I still remember. But I do agree with you that it felt like something where the author wrote it to make a point. Mm -hmm. And so it very much feels like a classroom book to me. It definitely is. When you told me this is what you were discussing, I was a little surprised. I thought huh, that's not one I would have just grabbed off the shelf to read. I think it's cool that you did, but... I'm not sure that I would have made it through it if I had been reading it in actual book format Mm. because I was listening to it and the reader was good and did a lot of different voices and had the British accents. That helped me move through it. 
It's pretty short too, isn't it? It is short. If you miss it in high school, I'd recommend it, but probably people have other things on their list that are worth <laughs> reading before this one. Maybe suggest it for your book club to talk about the ideas. I don't know that I want to inflict it on other people. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> Let's start our discussion of today's topic. And before we really do that, Sarah and I both want to acknowledge that the things that we are going to say today come from the incredible privilege that we've both experienced in our lives. And that when we're talking about finances, we're already in a place based on support from our families and things like scholarships and the behaviors of our frugal spouses that put us in really fortunate positions. Absolutely. So with that, let's talk first about general philosophy around money. What's yours, Sarah? I would say our philosophy is based in frugality and the idea of only spending what we have to, and then we can save, invest, and give away the rest. So we've always tried to live well below our means and have been fortunate to be able to do that. And part of the ways that we make that happen is always trying to buy secondhand or make things or just really harshly evaluating whether or not something is necessary. Yeah. I think you guys are really good at that. I think Neil's really good at that. <laughs> and that's something that has developed over time. And Neil and I got married so young. We started living together when we were 22 and 23. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we've really been able to grow together and develop our philosophy together, which isn't better or worse than a different way of doing it. But I definitely think about things very differently now than I did in my early 20s. Mm -hmm. So I would say we tend toward medium frugality and sometimes not much frugality at all. The ways in which we are frugal is that we try to bring lunches, try and shop secondhand, things like driving on trips rather than flying or not prioritizing travel at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that I feel... Like frugality is less important because at the base of that is that I kind of just believe that it's money and we'll make more. And I don't feel urgency to save. We do give away some money and that is important to us. But I think if we were to compare our financial philosophies, Sarah, it feels a lot easier for me to spend money. Yes, I would agree with that. And it's been really beneficial to me to think about your philosophy of it's just money, we'll make more. And I have repeated that to myself during some times where we've really needed to spend money. Mm -hmm. The time that I most remember this is we received a huge hospital bill for E's birth mm -hmm. due to reasons I won't go into. But <laughs> opening that envelope and seeing the number while I was hormonal with my weeks old baby. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, what would Abby think? And thinking it's just money, we'll make more of it actually gave me a lot of peace with that. Oh, I'm so glad, friend. <laughs> Sometimes it is what it is. And I think that circles back to the privilege part of it, that we're in a position where even though it was a shock, it's something that we could absorb. And to be thankful and grateful for that, as opposed to feeling overwhelmed and anxious. Exactly. And I mean, me even having that philosophy comes from a really privileged place. Right. Because even if both Andrew and I couldn't work, we would still be supported by our families. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't lose our house. You know, we would have money for food. It's the glass floor that Reeves talks about. Yeah, I believe that. 
I'll also say that I occasionally try and channel Neil when I want to buy something. <laughs> what would Neil do? He would jerry-rig something with a paperclip. It's true. He would. I like that our philosophies have influenced each other. Me too. So speaking of Neil, how do you and he handle finances together? So I handle all of the day-to-day with our money. I'm the one who pays the bills. I'm the one who checks in on our bank accounts regularly. Mm -hmm. I'm the one who's really deciding where we're putting the money that we're saving and how we're allocating that. But he's involved in all of the big picture decisions. You know, at open enrollment every year, we sit down and say, okay, how much are we going to have taken out of your paycheck? And Mm -hmm. what are our goals? And what does that mean for our expenses this coming year? Mm -hmm. I think for him, he's not very interested in the details. I am... 99% sure that he could not tell you how much money we have in our bank accounts right now, (laughs) that he just legitimately has no idea. But he just doesn't spend money almost ever. So he doesn't have to worry about it. (laughs) Right. Having a budget is not something Neil is interested in at all. So we've never really had a budget that we stick to as a family. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll create one that I look at. He does not want to participate in that because to him, we spend the money that we need to spend and... That's the end of the story. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, oh, well, we've budgeted this amount, so we get to spend up to that amount. It's like, well, we'll spend what we need to in that category this month. And that's very frugal woods. I think we're going to get into the resources a little bit later, Mm -hmm. but that's their philosophy as well. We're not budgeting. We're just spending the minimum that we need to, and that's below the amount that we make. So we don't have to stress about these numbers. Right. And we do everything combined. And we have done that since we moved in together, which was about a year before we got married, Mm -hmm. which seems a little bit crazy to me looking back on it. Like if my children wanted to combine finances with somebody before they were married, Mm -hmm. I would not recommend that, but it worked for us. And I think it helped that we were grad students. We didn't have very much money at all. Mm -hmm. And so it felt really low stakes to do that. That would feel really different if we were combining our finances in our 30s versus just out of college. To us, it just felt the most practical and simple because we were living together that it felt more straightforward to us. So that's how we did it. What about you guys? How do you handle your finances? So we combined our finances really young as well. Right before we got married, we bought a townhouse. And so we were basically all in same savings, same checking, same mortgage at that point. Mm -hmm. And for most of our life since then, I've handled everything. We've had a shared Google spreadsheet for a long time where I track credit card spending and the amounts of money that are in our accounts Mm -hmm. and when things are coming due. Like now I use it to track what freelance money is coming in, which is really helpful since that fluctuates. And it's shared, like I said, so Andrew has always had access to it. But really recently, he's been becoming more interested in debt repayment Mm -hmm. and our savings goals. So he's much more engaged now and making a lot of suggestions and taking a lead on things like savings and investing, which we've just sort of done automatically at a really low level. So that has been really awesome sort of in our shared financial life. It feels really good and motivating to be on the same page with your partner. Absolutely. Okay, Sarah, so do you feel like your relationship with money is balanced and healthy Or maybe do you have some hangups? I have so many thoughts about this. (laughs) So many directions this could go. I would say I think it's mostly healthy. I think money is a tool. 
and that I generally can be fairly detached from it in that way and see it for what it offers, but not become obsessed Mm -hmm. in a way that feels negative or unproductive. But at the same time, we were talking about where we fall on the frugality spectrum. Mm -hmm. And I think that I have been in a place before where frugality has been a detriment and has been a stress in my life Mm -hmm. because then spending money feels really stressful to me and Mm -hmm. it's really hard for me to spend money even on things that I know we need. Neil is more frugal than I am in terms of just not wanting things Mm -hmm. and being willing to make them or find them used or figure out another solution. But I'll say, oh, we need this. We should buy it. And he's, whoa, 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 why are we going to buy that? And he'd go through this whole process. And it used to frustrate me. And now it doesn't. I'm really grateful for it because I feel like over time, my thought process has changed too. And Mm -hmm. it's made me want less. That the more that we do this, I find so much satisfaction. And when we are able to find something used or when I'm able to say, I don't actually need that. Yeah. That's been really freeing. So I think there was a point where... That was a point of contention in our lives where I felt held back by his frugal views Mm -hmm. from spending money. And then it got to the point where I really enjoy being frugal. But then that I feel like slid into this place where, okay, well, we shouldn't hire a babysitter because that costs so much money. And then if we're also going out to dinner, it's this really expensive night. And how much benefit are we getting from that that we wouldn't get from just hanging out at the house together Mm -hmm. or having issues with spending money on childcare because I'm the stay at home parent. And do we need to be spending this much on childcare? And Mm -hmm. the answer is yes, but it's hard to get to that place. It is because we could do without it. The same with eating out. Just lots of things like that where I feel like he has a much healthier approach to it where if we need to spend the money, we just spend the money and it's no big deal because most of the time we don't spend the money. Mm -hmm. Where for me, even when I know we need to spend the money, it's like because I'm in this mindset, it's almost painful. Mm. And even just taking up more mental space than it needs to. Right. Like I don't need to think about it so much and obsess about it. I should just let it go. More money will come, as you would say. Right. It's really interesting to me how it sounds at its base. Like Neil and I have really similar philosophies about money. Like Mm. if we need to spend the money, we just spend it. Right. But my threshold for spending is much lower (laughs) than his. Like it sounds like it takes an awful lot to get to the point where Neil's like, yes, it is objectively clear that we should spend it. Right. Versus With me, I'm like, I want it, I'm going to get it kind of thing. (laughs) And I think that's my challenge with money is that because of the privileged family that I grew up in, we really didn't have a lot of things that we wanted for. And I think growing up in Dallas, a lot of what people do for fun is shop. Mm. And so it makes me feel good to shop where I've heard people say they hate shopping. It stresses them out to spend money or they hate doing the looking or they hate doing the trying on. Yeah, I hate all of it. But I love all of it. (laughs) And a friend the other day said that she goes to stores like TJ Maxx and Marshalls and Home Goods for therapy. And I was like, me too. That's exactly what I do. So because I have all those positive associations, spending money feels good, even though I think a lot of times I don't need to be spending it because I don't need what I'm buying. Mm -hmm. And then it can actually do things like create stress because that money would be better saved 
or spent on something else. That in the moment, it feels to me like new jeans are really necessary, whereas maybe that was part of grocery money that I spent or something. But then because (laughs) I don't have hangups about spending money, I just spend the money on groceries too. So I think that we could be in a better financial position if I could get a little bit more to the point where it sounds like you and Neil are of questioning my choices with a little more clarity maybe. And I think I would be more balanced if I could just spend the money without thinking about it sometimes. Because I'm not talking about spending thousands of dollars. Right. It's that sometimes it really would be less stressful to just order a pizza Mm -hmm. and eat it for dinner that night and spend the $30. Right. As opposed to thinking about it and should I do it and shouldn't I and what could I make? And I think it's important for me to recognize that sometimes spending the money even though we don't need to, improves my quality of life. Mm -hmm. And that there's this point where being frugal enhances life in a lot of ways. And I really buy into that. And some of the frugality resources we're going to talk about promote that point of view. Mm -hmm. But I think there's also a point where eating out makes me happier Mm -hmm. and makes me feel more balanced and makes my life a little less stressful. Right. And that that's valuable too. And a lot of times that $20 spent is better than that $20 would be saved Mm -hmm. in terms of my quality of life. And trying to figure out where that balance is, I think, is my struggle. Yeah. And I've gone through times, too, where I get some of this, like, anxiety around money. And it doesn't necessarily result in me spending less. It just results in it taking up more mental space, like you said. Mm, Yes. And I'm not feeling that way right now, which... I feel really fortunate about that. And I think that's for a couple reasons. The first is that my freelance writing income is where I would like it to be. And I feel so excited that I'm able to make that work while being able to do the parenting I want to do. And it took about a year probably to get to this point. The second thing is that with Andrew taking a more active role in our finances, I'm checking in with him more about purchases, things that I might normally just buy because I think we need it and it's a good deal. I'm checking in with him and he is being sort of the Neil in my life and saying, meh, do we really need that? Mm -hmm. And so that has been really awesome. Sounds like you guys are in a really good spot. Yeah. Like you said, it's really empowering to feel like you're on the same page and working toward financial goals together. So Sarah, do you feel like there are specific areas where you don't ever have the question of should we spend money? I think that I always have the question, but there's areas where we definitely prioritize being frugal and areas where we don't. And I would say the main ones where we don't are food Mm -hmm. and bikes. With food, it's a value of ours to shop at our cooperative Mm -hmm. for many reasons. And that is just more expensive than if we were to go to Costco or a bigger grocery store. And I feel like that's the one area of our budget where we really could cut back Mm -hmm. Every month we could be saving more money, but whenever I bring that up, we end up having the discussion and we always come to, no, we don't think we should be buying the absolute cheapest food out there. That's not one of our values. Mm -hmm. And so if we are in a position to spend more on it to support our values, then we want to. Yeah. If we are not spending a good amount of money on groceries so that I have food that I want to be cooking at home, then I want to eat out all the time. Yes. So it's worth it for me to buy the more expensive tasty cheese or to have some processed food in the freezer, even though that's way more expensive than cooking whole food, because it's Mm -hmm. still a cost savings over picking up burgers, which we would love to do every night. (laughs) 
And then with bikes, it's not that there's not a question of how can we frugalize, but we also spend a decent amount to buy our bikes and don't stress about that because that's our transportation and how we get around. And we know we're saving money by not having a car. So we get a lot of raised eyebrows with the cost of our cargo bike. But Mm -hmm. to us, that was a worthy investment. And so it wasn't hard to spend the money on that the way I find it hard to spend money on getting takeout, which seems backwards (laughs) in a lot of ways. (laughs) Do you find that there's any areas that are really easy for you to be frugal where other people might struggle? Well, Andrew and I really don't prioritize travel much at all. And I have really close friends who love travel and feel like they're missing out when they're not getting to do big trips. And that's a lot of what they do for fun is even weekend trips. Mm -hmm. And Andrew and I both are pretty happy not doing that. Yeah. And I don't feel like we're missing out at all. And I think that's really interesting because you guys have both traveled internationally. Mm -hmm. It's not as though that isn't part of your experience in the past. Right. And I think for so many people, once they start doing it, it's like they get the travel bug and that it's so hard not to be traveling. Right. So I love your perspective that there was a season for that. And right now that's not the season and that you guys are just okay with it. And I think I just had a realization that this must be how Neil feels about everything. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Okay, so let's talk long-term financial goals. Do you guys have specific goals? Have you always had them? Or have you come to them more recently? So Neil and I have always been savers. He has since he was a kid. He just didn't spend money. And for me, I feel like I've gone a little more back and forth on that Mm -hmm. when I was a kid. I used to save some money and then I just spend it all on junk food at Kroger or (laughs) the local drugstore. But then there was a trip I wanted to take to France and Spain, but my parents weren't going to finance the whole trip. And Mm -hmm. they told me if I was willing to save half the money, then I could go. So I spent almost a whole year saving everything that came my way. And that was some birthday and Christmas money, but also cleaning my entire house and doing all the laundry Mm -hmm. for $10 a week. Nice. And I didn't find that hard when I had the goal. But then once I got there, I think I also had some spending money. Mm -hmm. And within the first two days, spent all of the money for the first three (laughs) weeks. I felt like I had used up all my savings muscles and then only wanted to spend money. Yeah, that makes sense. And I used to be much more about the instant gratification. I want this now. I'm going to go get it now. Mm -hmm. And that has changed over time. So to bring that back for goals, I feel like when I have a goal in mind, that it's much easier for me to prioritize the savings. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like when we were first starting out in grad school, I didn't have a huge goal in mind. We started saving for retirement then, and that was important, but it wasn't this driving force in my life. Mm -hmm. So I still wanted to eat out when I was hungry and tired and didn't feel like cooking. Right. And then after HP was born, I remember distinctly trying to nurse him to sleep while reading on my laptop all of the Mr. Money Mustache articles Mm -hmm. and becoming really inspired by this idea of money giving you options, Right. which of course I always knew. But I had no examples in my life of people retiring at the age of 30 because they lived a frugal life and Mm -hmm. saved a ton of money and were able to do that. And to me, that was so appealing because even before reading that, this idea of both of us working 40 hours a week until we're 65 was so unappealing. (laughs) Yeah. I wanted a more slow-paced, relaxed lifestyle. And this 40 hours a week 
or more situation Mm -hmm. is just not something I'm interested in for either me or Neil long term. Right. And I've done a Mr. Money Mustache deep dive as well. And I think like you say, one of the things that's the most appealing thing, to me at least, is this idea of not having to be a slave to practices in our culture, like the 40-hour FaceTime work week. Mm-hmm. Not having to buy into that would be really good. But it was really hard for me to convince Andrew because he loves work. And so I feel like the more subtle point that you brought up, that Money Mustache talks about having options, mm-hmm. was something I didn't grasp early on. But Andrew has recently come to reading Money Mustache and listening to podcasts with him on there and stuff like that. And that's the part that's appealing to him is to have this diversity of choices. Yes. And that's what I would say our goal is now, that after reading that, I want to have choices. And right now, Neil loves his work. He is very happy with what he's doing and doesn't want to immediately retire. Mm -hmm. That's why I love the term financial independence over early retirement. Right. Because that's what it gives you is the independence to make the choices. And right now, we don't know how he's going to feel about his job in a decade. Right. We don't know how he's going to feel in 15 years. We don't know what I'm going to be doing income-wise in that time period either. And so I love the idea of, of us having that flexibility that right now I am primarily home but that in five years, that could be flipped mm-hmm. and that he could be pursuing some creative projects he wants to work on or doing other things while I'm making most of our income. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to be at a point where we're feeling miserable and then feeling trapped. Right. That is the beauty, I think, of frugality and saving money now is that the less money we need to live on in general, mm-hmm. the less money we need to have saved to be not working. Right. Or if something were to happen, mm-hmm. like with Andrew, if a grant doesn't get funded, it can make a big difference in employment. Right. And so I think that element of security is really appealing to him and to me. Recently, Neil and I had a big discussion about, okay, what are our goals? Mm-hmm. Because I had gotten to the point where I was really feeling, what's the point? Right. What's the point of living this frugal lifestyle if it's bringing some stress to my life? Mm-hmm. And to me, that was tied in with, okay, well, if it's not our goal to be retired in three years, then we can open up our budget in these ways <laughs> right. and open up our spending to be living the lifestyle we want now while also still moving forward. Mm-hmm. And that was really helpful. And I think that comes back to one of my dreams is to be able to travel with the kids for a long time, Mm -hmm. either doing a sabbatical year somewhere or taking six week to two month trips in the summer Mm -hmm. or over winter break just to really be incorporating what I consider to be slower travel Mm. that I don't want to prioritize one week trips Mm -hmm. where it feels rushed. I would much rather go someplace where we can really be and live our life somewhere different mm-hmm. as opposed to being tourists there. Yeah. I think going for a longer period of time gives you that opportunity. Mm-hmm. I've been reading Tish Oxenrider's memoir, mm. At Home in the World, and she travels with her three kids circumnavigating the globe for nine months. Wow. And I find it really inspiring. And Neil just thinks that would be a nightmare might be a strong phrase <laughs> for what he feels about that situation. But it's not appealing to him. He'd rather do many more long-ish trips Mm -hmm. as opposed to like one huge thing. Yeah. What about you guys and other long-term goals that you have? 
So I think that ours have really shifted. Like I said, Andrew is into Mr. Money Mustache now. And so he's really getting on board with the financial independence part of that. So our long-term goals are still in flux. It's also really different because Andrew is not in his forever job. This is not a job he could stay in till he was 65, even if he wanted to, because he's still technically a trainee. Mm -hmm. Eventually, he's going to have to do something else, whether that's be a professor of science and run his own lab or leave bench science completely and do consulting or something like that. So things are a lot different in terms of the kind of income that we can expect, Mm -hmm. and that will allow us to really change our savings rate. So for the near term... We're focusing on paying off student debt and credit card debt. And in the longer term, we would love to get to higher savings levels than we've done in the past. And then as things like income change, we'd love to get to 50% savings or higher. And then with those higher savings rates, we'd love to have the option to retire by the time we're 50 or sooner. And a lot of that is about instability in Andrew's work, that he could get his own lab and run a lab, you know, for 10 or 15 years and then just feel like I'm ready to do something else. You know, I'm ready to do consulting. He's also talked about starting a brewery at some point. Mm -hmm. So we would love to just have those options while we can still enjoy them. Yes. And I think part of what's hard for us to prioritize too is that idea of wanting to get to the point where we have all those options, but I don't want to only have those options once our kids leave the house. Right. That I want to be able to enjoy that freedom with them Mm -hmm. while they're here and being able to take those trips or just spend more time together as a family. Right. So I think that's part of why I'm more willing to kind of not just nose to the grindstone, keep going until we reach that specific FI number. Mm -hmm. But no, let's step back and really do life with our family while we are a family of four that's all living under one roof. And I'd rather put it off for a little bit longer to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Because I love my kids. and (laughs) I want to have those experiences with them. Yeah. This is goals related. Mm -hmm. What are your plans in terms of charitable giving over the next little while and long term? That's something that Neil and I have really talked about in this last year, Mm. that I feel like before we prioritized our own saving above giving. Mm -hmm. And part of that is our income level has changed pretty drastically since we were in grad school together. Right. And it's gotten to the point now where we feel like it needs to be a priority and that it can't just be something that we're doing haphazardly, which is how I felt we went about it before, Mm -hmm. that We would give money occasionally, but it wasn't specifically set out. And now it's something where we're committing to give at least 10% of our income. Mm -hmm. And that is something I'd like to continue or increase as time goes on. And because we value saving so much, I think it was hard for me in the moment to spend the money before we made the plan. Mm -hmm. And now it's just, oh, look, we have this chunk of money that we're planning to give this year. How do we want to divide that up? Nice. Just incorporating it into our financial plan. It sounds like it's more of a default now for you guys. Yes. And that's been great because it's another thing not to have to think about it or stress about it, but to just know this is the plan and how we're moving forward. Mm -hmm. How about for you guys? So we got a lot more deliberate with our giving after the election last year. Mm -hmm. We looked at our privilege and where things could go to something more beneficial instead. And at that point, set up several small monthly donations to causes that are important to us. I think based on where we are, that makes sense. But I love 
your plan of giving 10% of your income. And I think that that would be great if we could get there ourselves eventually. So it's a good thing for us to keep in mind. I love what you guys are doing in terms of prioritizing it now and having that be an extension of your values. And prioritizing giving money for us has really helped me put into perspective our privilege Mm -hmm. and be more cognizant of that. And that's felt really great and something I wish that we had started doing sooner. Let's finish up by talking about our favorite financial resources. So we've already mentioned the Mr. Money Mustache blog, which many listeners are probably familiar with, but he is somebody who lives in Colorado and he saved all of his money in his 20s working an engineering job and then was able to retire by his early 30s. It's so awesome. I think he really pushes people to challenge their own assumptions and their own excuses. Yeah. And then I also love the Frugal Woods blog. Yeah, she's like a frugality cheerleader, I feel like. Yes, that's a great word for it. And they recently moved to a homestead in Vermont, which was their goal. So they have reached financial independence, but they're both still working, Mm -hmm. but able to have that flexibility and live where they want to live and the kind of lifestyle they want to have. I do struggle with Mrs. Frugalwoods just a little bit because I think she's somebody who doesn't feel strong desires to spend money Mm, mm -hmm. and so doesn't really feel like she's denying herself ever. Right. And as someone who occasionally feels like I'm denying myself Mm -hmm. and doesn't like it, that's a little hard for me with her blog. And I think Mr. Money Mustache is the same, that he feels like the frugality leads to this better lifestyle that he's happier without things than he would be with things. Mm -hmm. So I get that sense from both of them. I have enjoyed a lot of personal finance books recently, Mm -hmm. including The Opposite of Spoiled by Ron Lieber, Mm. which is a really great look at how to teach kids about money Mm -hmm. and how how we handle our money is being perceived by our kids and what that is teaching them Mm. explicitly and implicitly. That sounds like a really good one. And he is a New York Times personal finance writer. Hmm. So you can also find his work there. And then I recently read one called You Are a Badass at Making Money (laughs) by Jen Sincero, which it's hard to say whether I recommend it or not. (laughs) I think that a lot of it felt like this really big ad for coaching, very expensive coaching. Mm -hmm. And that was frustrating and off-putting to me. But I loved the money mantras that she had at the end of every chapter. And I loved the idea of thinking about money really differently. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the hangups that I discussed earlier were addressed in her way of having a healthier relationship with money. Mm -hmm. And so for that reason, I found it really valuable. Interesting. And then I also just love a good Google of random financial topics (laughs) and going down a rabbit hole when I feel like I need some inspiration. (laughs) So good. So the first resource I want to mention that Sarah didn't already is Facebook groups about money. Mm. So I'm in one for lower income mustachians. So these are people who are interested in financial independence and early retirement, but are in the lower income, you know, aren't making six figures. Oh my gosh, that is so amazing. I didn't know that existed. Yeah, I joined it maybe a year ago and check in on there, not super regularly, but Uh occasionally and have found really good discussions. A lot about, you know, you sort of said, should we postpone the desire to be financially independent in order to really be able to enjoy our lives with our families. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of discussions in there because I think it's easy to save 
a lot of your income if your income is huge. Yes, totally. Because that's one thing I had found frustrating is I feel like we're living a mustachian lifestyle without the mustachian income. So as a family, we're doing so many of those things, but we're not making six figures. Mm -hmm. And so there's only so much left to save, even when you're spending the same amount that Mr. Money Mustache is. Exactly. I love that that exists in the world and feel like I need to look into it. It's a good group. And then... I wanted to talk about some podcasts. So one of my favorite podcasts ever is Death, Sex, and Money, which is out of WNYC, hosted by Anna Sale. So that show, like it sounds like, is a lot of discussions around these big topics. And I love how they talk about money. And sometimes they talk about it really specifically, you know, specific amounts. But then there are also sort of good general tidbits that come up. Mm -hmm. They recently did a really amazing several part series. I think the initial part of it was part one and two, but then there have been follow-ups that are listener questions answered all about student loans. And so I found that really fascinating to hear about student loans in the U.S. and also to hear how different people are coping with having a lot of them. Like we've already said, we had a lot of privilege around student loans and Andrew had some, but a very small amount, especially compared to what many of the people on these episodes talked about, but I just loved hearing about it. I did too. I'm not a regular listener of Death, Sex, and Money, but those episodes were so good. They were. And I didn't know there were more follow-ups, so I'm going to have to find those and listen as well. I think there was at least one Q&A. And then I like the Mad Scientist podcast. Me too. This is one that you recommended to me, Sarah. He's another person in the financial independence, early retirement world, and interviews people who have achieved financial independence and early retirement in some cases. And we recommended one of his episodes in our Renting and Owning podcast because he had some really interesting guests on there who were basically saying that you should rent everything in your life Mm -hmm. and not own anything. And credited the fact that they were able to retire early to not buying a house, which goes against conventional wisdom. Absolutely. The last podcast I want to mention is our friend Kelsey's podcast that she co-hosts with her husband, Chris. It's called Matrimony, and they talk about their personal finances using actual numbers. So I think it's super helpful to hear specifically how they're making things work. Agreed. We're going to wrap up our discussion of finances, but listeners, we'd love to hear how your finances work, how you find balance in your life around money. And if you have favorite resources that have informed how you view money and finances, we would love to hear them. Let's talk about what we've been eating. I have been eating chili. It is chilly weather in North Carolina. (laughs) It has been rainy and cold. And this is a chili recipe that I got from our friends who live in Raleigh. And it is super easy Because all you have to do is brown meat and then add things from jars or cans or packets to a slow cooker. Mm -hmm. And I used my Instant Pot as a slow cooker for the first time. Mm -hmm. And it came out awesome. I haven't made chili in a long time, but it sounds delicious. With lots of cheese on top. Yes, with lots of (laughs) cheese. And we also like sour cream or yogurt. Mm -hmm. What have you been eating, Sarah? I have been buying these jars of Indian sauces at our co-op. The brand name is Maya Kamal, and I'll link to that in the show notes. At first, I never bought them because it seemed kind of pricey to me. And when we're (laughs) making whole food things, it felt like, well, why don't I just order Indian food if I'm going to do this? But 
that's silly. And I've started going towards your philosophy of just buy all the food at the store so I'm not feeling sad when I'm at home. Yep. And part of that was starting to regularly buy these jars. And they have tiki masala. We had a butter masala. There's a coconut curry one. It's still a decent amount of work because I'm still chopping vegetables. Oh, sure. And I've been adding chicken to it as well. Mm -hmm. And then making rice in the Instant Pot. But it feels really indulgent. And it's one of those things that when I think about it, yes, I do want to eat delicious homemade, in quotation marks, Indian food (laughs) tonight. So we've been having that almost once a week. And it's just been really satisfying and really worth the money to buy the jarred sauce. How big of a jar is it? And how far does it go? It's pretty small. So I would say probably 16 ounces, Mm -hmm. maybe not even that much. It's smaller than a jar of pasta sauce. But like a salsa size? Yes. Kind of. It's similar to that. And I often have been adding a can of coconut milk to it Mm -hmm. to make the sauce go farther. Yeah. And it still tastes delicious. But then I can make a really large batch. So it's enough for us to eat for dinner and then for there to be leftovers for lunch. Nice. What veg do you put in there? Usually sweet potatoes, white potatoes, carrots, peas, and then green beans. Nice. Yeah. That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Abby, and with all of you listeners. You can find us on our website, friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or email us friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoy the show, please recommend it to a friend who you think would like it. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. (laughs) Right? I almost spit my coffee out while you were saying that onto my microphone. Are we good? Shall I wrap this up? I think so. Seems like we talked a lot. Whom I love. Anna, if you're listening, let's be friends. (laughs) They sound really good. I'm really hungry (laughs) right now.